Jack Spirico with another edition of Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough or even if they don't. Today is Wednesday, November 14th, 2012, and this is episode 1020-1020 of the Survival Podcast. Just seems like a cool number, 1020. Seems like binary code gone awry. Somebody made a trinary code or something. Anyway, if I seem a little happy today, it's because I'm about to give you what I feel is one of the most amazing and informative experiences that's ever happened on TSP. Um, I have been working with Jeff Lawton uh, quite a bit lately on some things, and I kind of l- released a little bit about that yesterday, and you guys like so flooded him that he agreed to uh, call me late late at night from Amon Jordan and do a 15-minute segment that will be part of today's show. So we have Jeff Lawton, who is probably the most gifted teacher and designer in the permaculture movement today uh, on today's show, just as a extra extra thing. That's just... A bonus. Okay. Now, the next part is a gentleman named Blake Ger- Ger- <laughs> Blake Gerardo. I'm sorry. And uh, Blake approached me with doing a show about the maker movement uh, and maker workshops, which I thought was cool. I thought they'd make all kinds of cool stuff. That's great. I didn't really research it. A lot of times when I have a guest coming on and tell me about something I've never heard about before, I just give it a real cursory overview, and I don't go deep into it. So I had no idea when I started interviewing Blake how how big this thing is, how amazing it is, how much it does for people, and I'll let you hear about it yourself. But I want you to realize the amazing timing that Blake brought this to us right as we're ramping up 13, the 13 Skills Challenge, right? So these two things have immense uh, uh, synchronicity or immense, uh, what's the word I'm actually looking for? Synergy. And I also think that people today are going to hear this. They're going to go out and get involved with this, and they're going to end up learning incredible skills and doing incredible things. And I think some of it will lead to people finding jobs in new fields. I think some of it will lead to people founding small part-time businesses. I think some of it will just lead to people getting really excited and doing a lot of stuff for themselves, their family, and their community. And and I think some of it will – there will be people from today's show that I believe that next time this year will have full-time businesses because of what you're going to hear today. Uh, and that's a way to be resilient, self-reliant, self-sufficient. And the fact that I got these two things to come together completely by accident, I guess someone in the universe is looking out for the TSP community, man, because what a great show today is going to be. Before we do the, uh, the introductions here, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one today, Sawtooth Tactical. Hey, preparedness is cool, and it's something we all should be doing. That's why we listen to TSP, right? And we also talk a lot about the practical stuff, but the tactical stuff is necessary as well. Doesn't do you any good to uh, have things well supplied and then in a disaster lose it to somebody like a looter. You wouldn't want to do that. And hey, the tactical stuff is cool, right? That's why some people call it tactical. So for all the tactical needs that you have in your life, check out Sawtooth Tactical and you will find everything you're looking for. Veteran-owned, veteran-operated in the Sawtooth Wilderness of Idaho. That's where the name come from. comes from. Check them out today at sawtac.com. Next up today, ready-made resources. Well, if you got the tactical down, you need something to protect, right? you got to be able to put that garden in. We'll talk a little bit about that today with Jeff. you got to 
to be able to preserve that food. You got to have extra food for long-term food storage. You got to have it all. And where are you going to find it? Ready-made resources. All the resources that you need, ready-made, ready to go. Point, click, and buy, and you'll get great pricing and great service from a longtime supporter of the show. Been with us for over three years now. Check them out today. ReadyMadeResources.com. If you can think of a resource that you need for your prepping, I'll bet you you'll find it at ReadyMade. Again, ReadyMadeResources.com. Best way to visit Sawtooth Tactical, ReadyMade Resources, and all the official Survival Podcast sponsors, go to the SurvivalPodcast.com. First, click on their banner in the right-hand margin. You'll know you're dealing with someone that carries my personal endorsement. Remember, the gear shop is back. with The, the Every Citizen of Sentinel t-shirts are one of the most awesome designs I've ever seen in my life. I'm so excited. I can't wait to get mine. Seriously, guys, I'm not just saying this is a marketer. I mean, wow. The, the designs coming out of Kelly, John Doe, and his designer over there are Amazing. Uh, New Revolution is you t-shirts. All kinds of cool stuff. Check it out today. TSPgear.com. Last but not least, uh, consider joining the Member Support Brigade. If you do that, you'll get exclusive content available only to members and lots of great discounts that will pay for your membership many times over. And if you are military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, or a first responder like, let's say, a paramedic, active duty, or prior service, please email me at jackatthesurvivalpodcast.com. Put service discount in the subject line. Tell me who you are and what you're doing or who you are and what you did, and I'll give you a special discount to thank you for your service. And with that, uh, at this time, I'd like to introduce uh, a guy that, for those of you who follow the permaculture movement, needs no introduction whatsoever, Jeff Lawton, uh, probably the chief protege of the founder of permaculture, Bill Mollison, and as I've said, I believe the most gifted designer and teacher that's active in the movement today. And, uh, again, uh, I just am really honored to have Jeff on the show. And, uh, hey, Jeff, uh, welcome to the Survival Podcast, man, all the way from Amman, Jordan. Thank you for joining us so late at night. Oh, pleasure. So, hey, you've got a new initiative out uh, with greater education, greater reach uh, with permaculture, and kind of coming from the standpoint of, hey, permaculture not only is all this great way to grow stuff, but we can actually use it, and we have the proof points that we can use it to deal with some of our pending crisis. That's right, yeah. We've uh, we're focused on how you can survive the potential variations of crisis that are approaching us, and uh, we're making the information really understandable for people in a in a very electronic form so um education with uh, really good visuals really good reference um nice flyovers and layovers of graphics and animations and uh we're going through a whole series of uh free information for people so they can uh, they can make a move and they can realize that there's a lot of um reference material now that we can help them with so they can they can really feel confident that they can make some of the right decisions purchasing land and 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 designing land and, and get them into that that sort of feeling that this is something that really makes common sense well and you part of what you're doing is that like you're going to be developing materials that are going to help people actually evaluate a piece of property that's in the first video that you've released, that there's certain things people can kind of go by and tick boxes and not make a mistake and buy a property that's difficult to develop. That's right, yeah. We're going to give them a checklist so that they can say, right, these are some of the things to look for so that it becomes a property that you can enjoy designing and developing and get a real permanent productive result out of it. 
Um, we're talking a lot about perennial food systems as being a little bit more secure as well and um, very long-lasting. A lot of people don't realize the diversity of some of the perennial systems that are available and unique ways to use animals to get the land in condition and fertile while you're getting production at the same time. And you're trying to kind of do the bigger tent thing, like find people that are just on the edge and kind of kick them into the, to the, to the fold, so to speak, right? That's right. I mean, there's a lot of people um, who maybe have not actually thought of permaculture or heard of it, and there's people that have heard of it that are not sure about it because they're not sure the connotations of it being a little bit alternative or, 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 or maybe a, a, you know, a little bit sort of strange or esoteric. And we're, we're, we're giving them a real image now that it's actually a very mainstream system. Uh, it's accepted by the mainstream, and, and the mainstream sort of caught up with us now and realized we are... Uh, the movement that is addressing all the crisis scenarios. It's not just growing things. It's the way you, you create an energy-efficient house that uses less energy to heat itself, cool itself. You know, energy sy- systems themselves and um, the way you create your own electricity and, and your own um, heating systems, uh, hot water systems, waste systems, how you turn those into an asset. You know, um, it... it it's a complete set of disciplines and how they connect together in a beneficial way. We, we want people to realize that we're actually a design science. We're not some kind of strange cult anymore that people may have thought we were and we're just about gardening. You know, we, we, we cover all the bases that they're going to require. Um, so this is a, a, a multidiscipline system and it's mostly about connectivity to give you those, those extra energy surplus hours to get production easily and i think there's like an opportunity out there to harness uh awareness through people that are that are are on the edge like i just you know went over with the audience yesterday this article i read in acres magazine where this guy was talking about how to survive a drought with ranching cattle he was talking about mob grazing and immediately once they realized they were in a serious drought condition cutting the herd bringing it from two mobs of cattle into a single mob paddock grazing it continuing to reduce the herd count to get through the, 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 uh, the drought, not bringing in hay, not buying hay, making do with what they had, and being kind of you know easy on the land, as, as easy as possible, giving the land time to recover. And I'm going, okay, he doesn't know it, but that's a pretty good permaculture way to graze cattle. Yeah, yeah. He was, he was looking at a patent-time relationship um, in the way he moved his cattle and... and, and retained a, a beneficial effect of, of uh, their um, interaction with the landscape. So, yeah, definitely um, moving animals through polycultural systems where you've got trees and crops and, 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 and water bodies is a really interesting way to get a lot of beneficial effect from your grazing animals. Um, so setting up systems uh, like electric laneways with um, mobile uh, grazing cells off an electric laneway is a is a really interesting way to interact grazing animals through a uh, a really diverse system, and um, you can end up actually creating more forestry systems with cattle, which is normally the opposite. Cattle usually reduce forestry systems, so there's there's all kinds of interesting different ways that people are using animals, plants, trees, water bodies, um, hardware infrastructure, 
so that it becomes multifunctional and and more and more beneficial as you as you design it well. And and this is what we're about. We're ethical design science that gives you those long term productive results. You know, in your latest video, you were showing how you could take basically 150 square meters at a time and and begin the process of going from pasture to forest with chickens. And when you first look at that, you go, well, that's really interesting, that's really great. But then the thought is, well, the chickens need a place too. But then you mature this system and you're able to then, you've done this on your farm in Australia, then actually range the chickens through the forest once it's matured enough to handle their, 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 their presence there. Yeah, it's kind of interesting to see in the older food forests at the Institute now where the, the chickens are, are very, very happy in the mature, more mature fruit trees and they're benefiting the fruit trees, but it was their great, 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 great grand, granddads and grandmas who actually tracted the original ground that was a paddock. <laughs> so <laughs> quite a few ancestors of those uh, animals uh, started the work. And um, and now they're, they're generations later, they're getting an extra benefit from uh, interacting with the, the mature system. So it's, it's been a productive event all the way along between animals and plants. And uh, we've been the ones getting the extra work. We've been the ones getting the extra fertility. And we're the ones that have been getting the food all the way along. We've just had to realize that we're in more of a, a management position than a hard working position. And a lot of it's about understanding and this is it there's a there's a big difference between knowledge and information you start off with information you move towards knowledge and then you end up end up understanding what it is that you actually have to do so there's there's quite a few well actually there's a very large amount of type one errors you can make um with these systems if you don't get the design right in the first place and that's what we're trying explain to explain that term for for folks that may not know what you're saying a type one error well, people just move and they think, well, anybody could grow, you know, to, could keep chickens, and that's true. And anybody could grow vegetables, and that's probably true. And anybody could plant fruit trees, but most people get it wrong. And and once you've gone through those processes, you you realise that's that's a, a thing that we we would call a type one error. You just don't thoughtlessly go and do that. You look and you say, where do they best fit? How is how are they going to work with gravity? Where's the nutrient going to flow? How does one element benefit another element? It becomes uh, uh, an understandable pattern that you assemble, and and it becomes a very very interesting event as well. So you 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 get very engaged in it because it becomes very meaningful. As it's meaningful because it's saving you work, and 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 in saving you work, it's also giving you production. So it's it's there are. Millions, actually, of type 1 errors you can make where you just go in and get it wrong straight away just because you didn't think you had to be really careful and use a design system. We provide you with a design system where you can rationalize and legitimize the placement of elements, and that always comes down to saving you time and money and gaining production from less effort. And I, I think what's really interesting to me is I watched you do this thing with the chickens and realized that for a lot of landowners that own an acre or two or three, they're not sitting out on these huge tracks like in your video where you, your DVD where you did establishing a food forest, you were working with fairly large acreage. That allows to take, you to take it down to a much smaller level or do it really big. Either one, they'll work in there, but they're easier on the land. Like you're not going to bring cows onto an acre for very long anyway. Yeah. Yeah, 
Um, and on the larger sizes, actually, on the larger sizes, we, we do graze the cows a couple of times with a cell graze and then the chickens if we've got real rough ground. Or you can come right down um, to really small systems where you're just moving a, uh, you know, a dozen uh, poultry across the landscape, a dozen chickens across the landscape and doing little section by little section. You scale these things up and scale them right down. It's, it's the design, understanding the design side of it that gives you that survival confidence. Once you've got that survival confidence, you know what you can do. You know you can provide the needs for, your, for yourself and your family. And, and, and you can do it better all the time because you've got all your bases covered with this system. And, and that's what I want to give people. You know, I, want to, I want to give people um, not, a, not a sort of fortress mentality, but an abundant mentality. So you say, I can, do, I can really feel confident by doing this. And I can do it in a way that I really actually enjoy doing it. It's actually it's something I prefer to do, not something I'm doing because I have to do it. I want to do this, and I'm going to feel more and more, you know, I'm going to feel more and more secure all the time. Absolutely. And one thing we were talking about is you, you've been kind of helping me out with a property of mine, is that a lot of us can't afford the 20-acre properties or what have you. But when you take a three, four-acre property and you really design it with food forestry and all, the way you put it to me is it feels a lot larger. You're feeling like you're dealing with 12 acres now. Yeah, yeah. It gets four to five times the size. That's what it actually feels like when you walk through the space because it's so layered that you've got all the, you know, every time you turn a corner, there's another diverse view of something completely different. And that's what you've got. You've got, in, you've got interactive diversity. <coughs> and that's what really benefits the system. It, it's kind of an ecosystemic type process. It's working with the power of natural systems to your benefit. Awesome, Jeff. Well, hey, you know, I know it's late at night over there and all, and you've been on the phone with me for quite a bit before this, so I'd like to thank you for being on. We've got your new initiative out there, your new video, and you've got more videos coming and more really cool stuff coming, including some stuff that I'm not going to tell people what it is yet. We, you, you've told me, but you've told me I'm sword to secrecy, and, uh, but I'll have a link again in today's show notes, and uh, people can get over there and see that. It's like a 30-minute video. And it's, it's outstanding, and I can't wait to see what you come up with next. So uh, thanks for taking some time out of your extremely busy schedule to be with us here today. No worries. Thank you very much. All right, folks. Uh, and with that, this has been Jack Spierko today along with Jeff Lawton, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Well, it was great having Jeff on, and uh, even though he's gone, you know, big thanks to Jeff. Uh, guys, you can't understand how busy this guy is and the effort he had to make to be able to be on the show, even for 15 minutes there out of Amon Jordan in, in the darkness in the middle of the night. Uh, but he did that because uh, I think he values his community a great deal. Uh, next up, let's go ahead and get into our main topic today, and I have Blake Gerardo on the line, and we're going to talk about maker workshops. This is one of the coolest things that I've ever heard. Blake is a great guy, a long-time listener to the show. Uh, he's been involved with a lot of disaster relief efforts, and his first effort with Maker uh, was kind of along the lines of building a solar backup system, but he's done a lot of other cool things. He's here to talk to us about it today. And with that, hey, Blake, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Hi, Jack. Thank you very much for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. Hey, we're going to talk today about something I didn't even know existed until I heard from you. It's called the Maker Community. Can you kind of explain what the Maker Community is? Well, you know, a lot like you, I didn't really 
hear of it until very recently. But um, the maker community is, it's a, it's sort of a movement of folks that are very much involved in technology and old skills and new skills, and they sort of come together. And a lot of it is focused on newer skills, but they are trying to get people to be more self-reliant and doing things more themselves and not being afraid to build things and take things apart and fix things and, you know, learn new skills and that sort of stuff. And the, the part that really took off for me was they are putting together spaces, areas where people can come together and they have, you know, shared equipment and shared knowledge and they can work on projects together and have meetings and that sort of stuff. And when I discovered this, you know, the, the community workshop aspect of it, that's when it really clicked with me. I'd heard about maker communities and that sort of stuff in the past, but it never really resonated with me um, until I started working on my own project and I needed some advice. And, and luckily enough, I happened to bump into one of these maker communities, which led me to going to one of their community workshops. And, you know, it was, I won't say it was life changing, but it was life impacting to see the sorts of resources that are out there that I just had never been exposed to. And, uh, you know, the whole thing is making stuff. And I, when, I, when I looked up the sites that you provided in the notes you sent me, I was really impressed with the, the diversity of projects from practical to just cool. Um, but just tell folks, I mean, what kind of things do people make uh, in this, this maker community? Well, you know, they make all sorts of things. The, the project that I was working on was a solar backup generator. Um, I do a lot of, you know, I'm sort of a hobbyist prepper, and I do a lot of volunteer relief work and that sort of stuff. So I'd always bumped into power problems during, uh, well, Hurricane Katrina was my big experience, and it was a big problem with power. So after that, I sort of decided that I needed to make myself some sort of a, a solar-powered backup generator. And so I went down, I needed, I don't, I, you know, I live in an apartment, so I have no space. I don't really have any tools that are my own or anything like that. And so in looking around, I, I found this, this maker space and I went down there. And you're right, the diversity of projects that people work on there are just incredible. So I worked on my, my solar generator backup. And the nice part about the maker space that I went to is these places are incredible. It's got a full wood shop. It's got a full metal shop. It has a full electronic shop. It, has, it also happens to have a full fabric shop. Uh, so I went down there, and I was able to make use of the, the circuit shop because I needed to do some electronics for my solar power generator. And I was able to make use of the, the wood shop because I needed to make a frame. And I was also able to make use of the metal shop. But while I was down there, I mean, people were working on all sorts of things. There were people, a lot of people who work down there are sort of doing it as they're either a small business themselves or they're working for themselves, and so they're working on all kinds of stuff. I saw somebody down there who was, had started his own business just doing fabrication because he had this facility available to him. So he was making uh, display units for one of the local stores. And there was another gentleman down there who was using the laser engraving equipment, and this guy made control units for microbreweries. And he started using the laser engraving equipment 
to make all of the face plates for his control panels. Um, I met a lady who worked in theater where she used the laser cutter to basically generate a scale 3D model of a stage so that she could work with theater students to plan out scenery and blocking and that sort of stuff for their stage production. Um, I, you know, just for fun, made some, you know, small boxes that I gave away as gifts, sort of like very nice wine crates. But the diversity of stuff that you can work on down there, it's just, I mean, it's limitless because in the, in the particular place that I worked, because they have like four or five different shops focused in four or five different areas, whatever you can think of, they have, you know, vacuum formers, you can do um, powder coating. The place that I worked at in Detroit had a full automotive bay. So they had two lifts for vehicles. They had a lift for a motorcycle. Uh, there's a welding shop, so they had TIG and MIG welders. They also had uh, plasma cutters, so you can cut half-inch sheets of steel. Uh, you know, there's almost nothing that you couldn't fabricate at one of these community workshops, one of the ones that's well-stocked and well-run. A lot of businesses actually use these facilities as their prototyping and, you know, if it's depending on the scale, they do production out of these community workshops. And the two community workshops that I worked with, that I had experience with, they were perfectly happy to have you do production work if you had a small business. As a matter of fact, they both of those facilities rent office space so that you can have an office there and then have access to the entire 24-7. So, I mean, it's, it's almost of these places. The ideas that will occur to you, you know, you'll be surprised. You'll be really surprised at what you can do. And for me, that was the big thing. Now, I mean, you've just taken me to a level with this that I I did not realize was available. And this, this is getting really awesome. But um, I also would say, taking a shot in the dark here, but I would think one of the greatest assets uh, in a place like this would be the fact that you're surrounded by other people that think this way and the interaction with other innovative people and skill set sharing and things like that would be something very, very uh, advantageous, as advantageous as any of the tools individually would be. You're exactly right. I mean, you're exactly right. And that's because I've talked to other people about it since, and I mentioned the wood shop. For a person like me, I had no wood shop experience. Um, you know, I just didn't. My father didn't do anything like that. Uh, so I just had never been exposed to a wood shop, you know, table saw and band saw and uh, lathe and all that sort of stuff. So I had just never been exposed to it before. And so I've talked about this to various people and they say, oh, I got a table saw. I, I have a table saw. And that's the thing that I always bring up is that you could have, you'll never have all of this equipment because, you know, a lot of this equipment is tens of thousands of dollars. But you would never have the community resources to be able to go down there and talk to people. I needed to do some circuitry on my solar generator. Uh, you know, there's multiple people who are electrical engineers that just work down there. And it was no problem at all to, you know, just ask around and say, you know, do you think you could give me a little bit of advice on this while I'm working on it? Same thing happened when I was making my wine crates. You know, there's a gentleman down there that had made cabinets for 30 years. 
So it was just no problem to talk to this gentleman and say, hey, you know, I just want to make these boxes. Do you think you could help me? And this guy, you know, helped me to no end. The, the amount of interaction, the friendliness, and the welcoming atmosphere that I've experienced at both of the community workshops is just phenomenal. You know, I never would have imagined. I'm sort of a, a reclusive person, let's say, and the way that they welcomed me in and the helping atmosphere that was down there and like you said the breadth of resources the one community workshop that i work at there's a patent attorney who has a free you know half an hour lecture on getting a patent what's really involved in it and what sort of stuff you have to pay attention to and what items you have to get lined up so like once a month this patent attorney comes down there and you know you can ask him questions when it's over um, if it's simple, like I said, I never found any, I never had want for help, except for one thing, which was one of the computer applications that I needed to use. And in that case, there were gentlemen down there who, for $25, would sit for an hour with me and just work directly on my project, just answer my questions and help me learn how to do it. So you're right. The people that are at these, at these community workshops are, like you said, as important as any of the tools. I mean, it sounds like a combination of like uh, a group of craftsmen slash engineers slash electronic experts coming together in almost a business percolator environment. It's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is. But, uh, all of these places that, that I say all of these places, the two shops that I've worked at have been extremely focused on entrepreneurship. And it's absolutely, I mean, the whole maker community is not necessarily focused on entrepreneurship, but certainly these community workshops that I've been at were all about, uh, you know, helping you build whatever you wanted to build. If you were there just to build uh, something fun or gifts for, for somebody, or if you were there to build a business. And it was incredible. Like I said, I've seen three people in the, in the course of time that I was down there who all started their own business out of these community workshops. The community workshop that I worked at the most was buying, a, not buying, but leasing additional office space next door to their facility so that people could rent an office and use, you know, the, all the workshop facilities that were in the, in the place that I, I spent most of my time at. So, yeah, absolutely, and you're right. It's such a mix of people that it's amazing what you can learn how to do. And for me, that was the biggest part, you know, was the – what I could learn how to do down there. Like I said, I didn't have any real wood shop experience, zero metal shop experience, but they all offer classes, so you can take as many classes as you want, and they'll teach you how to use the machines. Um, some of them, you know, they might not be able to, like the, you know, the welding, for example. I mean, they'll teach you the safety on the welding, but they usually have additional advanced classes where they can actually teach you technique and that sort of stuff. And uh, I had never experienced anything like that, a place that had the resources, had the people, and, and had the atmosphere. So that's why once I got a sense of it, you know, I wrote you and said, I feel like this is an amazing resource that people need to know about. Well, when you sent me the stuff, I was glad you did. And, and, and hearing you now, I'm even more so. Um, can you tell us how the typical community workshop kind of functions? Like, how do you get involved? Are there scheduled classes like you're talking about? 
you know, there's, there, I'm sure there has to be a cost somewhere. You mentioned a few of them already because you got to support. I mean, that kind of resource. I had no idea there was that level of resource. So is there like a, a membership fee or workshop fee or an hourly? How, how does the whole thing flow? Um, what, my experience with the two places that I went, and I, I think in, I don't know, in, in most places maybe, it's sort of like a gym membership where you pay either a monthly membership fee or you could pay for a year long but yeah absolutely there's there's costs involved because this is the the workshop that I worked at in Detroit I mean it's multiple millions of dollars worth of equipment uh so there's certainly a cost there the the smaller community workshop that I worked at in in Ann Arbor you know has a little bit less stuff but it's still probably a million dollars worth of equipment so the smaller community workshop, it was $90 for a month, and uh, they, they have the classes, also usually have a fee. The classes at the community workshop in Ann Arbor that I worked at, they were $15 usually for one of the classes, and the, it sort of comes out to about $15 an hour. An hour-long class, $15. If it's a two-hour-long class, it's $30. Um, and you know, just like a, a gym, if you were going to a gym, you sort of go down there and, you know, equipment's in use or it's not in use, and it's very friendly. So it's just a matter of working it out. If somebody's using the CNC ShopBot, this thing is a computer-controlled um, machine that cuts full sheets of plywood and does routing and cutting and that sort of stuff. If there's somebody using it when you go down there, you can call ahead of time and ask, is there anybody on the shop bot? They also have a reservation system where you can just go online and say, look, I need to come in for these two hours, and you can reserve the shop bot. Uh, the only tool that I the, – the most popular tool by far is the laser engraver and the laser cutter. They're both the same machine. And that is – that one you might have to wait one day. I, I never waited a day, but I had seen, it, depending on which day I wanted to use it, I might have had to schedule it for the next day before I went down there and used it. But it all works out. I mean, I was there at night in the evenings in a 12,000-square-foot facility packed with a full metal shop, full welding shop, full electronics shop, and full wood shop, and I was the only person in there. You know, I mean, it was tragic that I was the only person in there and all these, this resource was available and it wasn't being used more. So I never ran into any sort of problem being able to use any machine whenever I wanted it. The much larger facility down in Detroit, that's even easier because they have multiples of these machines. The smaller community workshop I went at usually had like a single version of all the machines. But the big place down in Detroit they have multiples of the machines, so, I mean, it was never a problem to just walk in there and get whichever machine I wanted to use. Yeah, I just looked one up because, you know, we're moving back into the Texas area. I've already found a space in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and there's all types of things that they're doing in addition to all the stuff you're talking about, amateur radio workshops, uh, electronics classes. It, it, this is absolutely phenomenally, phenomenally amazing that something like this exists and so few people seem to know about it. If you would have asked me about this before I got uh, your email on it, I, I would have said, I, I have no idea what this is at all. I know. I know. It's, it's so, un it, that was the thing is I just, it's such an amazing resource. And, you know, a lot of people have said, oh, I've heard about MakerWorks or maybe they heard about Make Magazine or the Maker Community. 
but that's as far as their knowledge went. And so when I walked into this facility and saw what we were really talking about in this community workshop environment, you know, I was just floored. I just couldn't get over it, you know, that this resource existed. For me, it was lucky I lived in Ann Arbor, and for me, this thing was 10 minutes from my house. The one in Detroit was 45 minutes from my house. But the idea that this was so close and that I could... It just you'd never be able to put workshops like this together on your own. You just would never be able to do it. And I just couldn't get over that the resource was out there and so few people knew about it. I, I, kind, of, I kind of went crazy. I, I started evangelizing this thing, you know, every place I went. You know, I was at a, a big box store. I was at a Home Depot, and I was looking. I needed a, a square because I wanted to make these boxes. And while I'm standing there at Home Depot, a trades guy comes in and is asking the person who works at Home Depot about how he can engrave granite. And they kind of decided on maybe buying a Dremel tool to do this granite etching. But, you know, there's 10 minutes from this Home Depot, there's a workshop where they can lay a slab of granite down and use the laser engraver to engrave it. You know, so these people are missing out on, on really an amazing resource. And, and that's like I said, every place I went. So I made sure that I explained to all the people at Home Depot that I could reach that this thing was just 10 minutes away. And when they have people come in and ask questions, one of the things they can mention is is the community workshop that these people could make use of. And that, I mean, if I had my way, everybody who works at like a big box store would be able to get uh, free tours and free classes so that they could share that information with their customers. Absolutely. So how does somebody like, you know, get started with these workshops? Like, how do you find them? You know, do you just show up? Do you, you know, how do you, how do you kind of get involved? Walk in. I mean, you need to find one first. I did a Google search for community workshops. Um, and I can send you some, you know, there's basically two or three URLs that list community workshops, but certainly try and locate one. I mean, doing like a Google search for community wood shop or community metal shop and then the state or the city that you live in. Uh, and then once you find one, just walk in. Every place, the, the two places that I went to, you know, from the moment I walked in, I felt welcomed and I was never lost about what to do and everybody was super friendly. You know, the, 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 there's a, a, the one company is called Tech Shop and they have about six or seven of these facilities all around the country. And, uh, they make a huge effort. Like, for example, the tech shop by me in Detroit is doing a, a winter program where you make a kayak. And so they'll do it for about three months. But there's programs going on all the time. And I think the first step is to just locate one of these as near to you as you can. And when I was looking before I spoke with you, I mean, there's 40 or 50 of these community workshops in the United States. So there's a pretty good chance that one would be, you know, somewhat near most people, especially if they live in one of the larger cities. And they all have varying degrees of equipment and, and the shops that they have available. So you, you know, would go and explore and find out. But I say Google search to find out if there's one anywhere near you and then go visit it. And even if it's someplace that you wouldn't imagine that you would go to regularly, like it's a 90-minute drive from your house or something like that, I would still really strongly encourage people to go and visit and see what these places look like and see what the community is like, um, just to get a sense of, 
you know, I, I, where I live now, there's nothing like this anywhere near me. And I am strongly motivated to, to perhaps start one myself. So even if there's not one near you, you might be able to find enough like-minded individuals in your area that you might just be able to start one yourself. It makes definitely makes sense. I mean, I would imagine there's just certain things that, you know, some of these workshops and the, the, the classes that go along with them offer that you that you probably haven't seen anybody else, you know, that can, can kind of match it. No, I haven't. I think probably the next closest thing that might match it would be something like a community college where you could go and take like a welding class or something like that. But, you know, this stuff, classes that they offer is pretty incredible. I just, this tech shop place, you know, they just sent me their list of classes for November or whatever it is, and they have classes on, you know, vacuum forming, welding, using the CNC shop bot for wood cutting. Uh, they've got classes on how to use the software that you need to use to lay a lot of this out. And you know, you might be able to get those at a community college. I would say the next closest opportunity to something like this would be something at the community college level, except these are a little bit more focused on, a little bit more specific than, like, taking a whole community college class. But but that would be the next closest thing. And I doubt if you're going to get the wide variety that you would get at a community college. You know, you'd probably get welding, auto shop, maybe a wood shop class and that sort of stuff. Um, the other thing that to me was amazing was I mentioned I don't have any woodshop skills. However, they have a computer controlled uh, you know, shop bot which takes a full sheet of plywood, it can do cutting, it can do routing. I do have computer skills. You know, I know how to use several computer programs. I'm a computer programmer myself. And that was kind of surprising to me. So they have a computer controlled Shopbot. They have a computer-controlled embroidery machine, a 16-thread embroidery machine. The laser engraver is all computer-controlled. They have a computer-controlled mill. You know, it's a look. I'm not a metal person, but they have a computer-controlled mill for cutting out metal pieces. They also have one of the, those 3D prototyping machines where you sort of come up with a 3D object and hit print, and it'll print out your 3D object for making parts or making figures or something like that. So a lot of the skills that I did have, like computer skills, what I told people was if you've ever used a computer to make uh, a card or a flyer that you sent to somebody, then you literally have all the skills that you need to use the laser engraver and the laser cutter. Because with the laser engraver and the laser cutter, it's literally a matter of hitting print on a PDF and it will cut out whatever it is or will engrave whatever it was that was in that PDF. So these, it's not just a, a wood shop, you know, where it's a table saw and a band saw and that sort of stuff. They have the latest equipment that's now computer controlled. So people who have skills that are not traditionally woodworking skills, working with Adobe Illustrator is not a traditional woodworking skill, yet Adobe Illustrator is the software that you can use to run the shop bot, the CNC-controlled thing that cuts out full sheets of plywood. So for me, it was sort of stunning to learn that I actually had skills that applied to these things that I never would have realized that I could do, that my skill set applied to these things. So, And then you've got, the, you've got the mechanical type that understands everything about how the engraver works but doesn't know the skill set you do. So you've got this 
homogenization of skill sharing where it's not just let me do that for you, but let me show you how that works so that you are empowering each other. Absolutely. Exactly. I mean, that's just exactly it. I listened uh, on the radio. They were talking about, I, you know, Ann Arbor, Detroit area. So on the radio, they had a thing about how, you know, people were going to have to retool for the 21st century and they were going to have to learn how to program the robots that would be doing the work in the 21st century. And none of it was very, it was sort of scare words. And to me, it would have made me feel like, well, I could never do that. But when you go down to some place like one of these workshops and you see what the robots are, then you realize that, wait a minute, I could very well learn how to do that. And I think with the tech shop, the Veterans Administration just decided that this was such a great opportunity for people to upgrade their skills that the VA is actually sponsoring a thousand memberships at tech shops all around the country so that you know, people who are veterans can go down there and retool their skill set because it's much easier to do than it, it is when you hear somebody say you would have to learn how to program the robots. You know, program the robots means lay something out on the computer and hit print nowadays. So, yeah, absolutely. It's extremely empowering when you find out what you can really do. And uh, that was the part that was so – I mean, it's, it was moving to me to realize that – the, the resource that this was and the empowering resource that it was for people who are trying to start their own business, have a small business that they'd like to take to the next level, or people who are trying to just increase their skill set to find another job because they're laid off from whatever their previous job was. Because you've got these gentlemen in the Detroit area, a lot of these gentlemen are, were machinists. So they know, I mean, everything about the metal shop is just second nature to them at this point but now that they don't have jobs they don't have a chance to to work on those machines or increase their skills on those machines and they can go down here and or they could time. probably find some independent work to do some custom stuff but if they're out of a job they don't have the money for a metal lathe an engraver a laser cutter etc but they can harness this and turn turn around and end up becoming very entrepreneurial Exactly. I mean, that's just exactly it. You're absolutely right. I, like I said, I, there was one gentleman down there who, I don't know what he did before, but he learned, he came down here to work on some personal project. The gentleman who was making the racks for the local uh, retail store, that's all he does now is fabrication. He learned how to use all this equipment. He learned that it was available to him, and now it's his full-time job that he just does fabrication for people. And that's it. You know, he had lost his job, and now he's got a brand. No, that's not true. He was working at. Uh, he had gotten laid off, but he was working as a uh, uh, at a cafe. You know, just being a uh, serving at the counter, and now he no longer has to do that because he has so much fabrication work that he can't keep up with it. It's it's amazing, and I I, I mean. One of the things, like when I first looked at the fact that some of these places were like, a lot of them are like not-for-profit, the facility itself, I was wondering, you know, is this for like learning skills and going away? But it's like the the, the concept of, of being an entrepreneur, founding a business, maybe using this as like the seed component to your business and eventually breaking off to your own job is encouraged. There's no discouragement of that at all. That's exactly right. I, You know, production work, literally – if you wanted to make cabinets or whatever it was, because the nice part about the CNC shop bot is once you get whatever it is laid out, 
you just hit print and more of them get cut out of your wood and then you can assemble it. So uh, the both of the workshops that I went to, the the word on production work was you're absolutely welcome to do production work here. We just ask you to tell us that you're doing production work and we'll keep an eye on it and if it you know, becomes a problem where we feel like, you know, you're monopolizing a machine or something like that, we'll just come and tell you. But if you got to the point where you needed the machine, you know, so much, then you might very well just be able to go out and find another facility to lease the machine or rent the machine or use it in off time or, or buy your own. So they had absolutely encouraged entrepreneurship and had no problem with production work. They were like, just tell us. And if it's a problem, we'll get together and figure out how to make it not a problem. Yeah, including just scheduling around, uh, you know, there's probably, you know, once it's set up, like you're saying, it's it's throw stock in and hit print. So you can manage your production work uh, around other people's, you know, uh, one-off work and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. They said the the small community workshop that I went to in Ann Arbor, they said it had never been a problem. They said we yeah. have people do production work all the time. To date, it's never been a problem, so you're absolutely welcome to. That's awesome. So say somebody is looking around and going, all right, there ain't one of these things around me. You kind of alluded to this. Uh, is it possible, or what would it take for someone to create their own, to, to start a new one? Oh, I don't I don't think it would be terribly difficult to, to start one or to create your own. I mean, the first thing I would do is, you know, Google around and see if you can find one that's by your house, and then you find out that there's not, but maybe you go and look at one that's a few hours away just to get a sense of how it works. You know, then it's just a matter of, you know, finding a couple of people. I've seen some places where there's, uh, like, a business has this equipment for whatever they do, and uh, people from the community went in and partnered with the business so that, like, two days a week or three days a week, the business offered up that people in the you know, people in that community group could come in and use their equipment for a limited period of time. So I think there's multiple ways to start something like this if you didn't find something like this right around your house. I think you could – I haven't really spoken to the people that started the one in Ann Arbor yet, but I'm going to find out how they managed to get their capital together to, to start it because I'm very interested, seriously considering doing it where I live now. But I would imagine there's multiple avenues to do it, from, you know, facility sharing with an already existing company to working with, like, a local economic development uh, council to try and put something like this, because it's a huge resource for the community. I know in Washtenaw County, which is where Ann Arbor is, there at Washtenaw Economic Development Council, there should never be a discussion about entrepreneurship or locating your business in Washtenaw County that doesn't mention the resource of this community workshop. So you might be able to find funding for something like that, I think, from all sorts of places if you just sit and think about all the people who would benefit from it. I know the large shop that they did in Detroit, the tech shop people, um, they did it, they built it right next to uh, a Ford you know, like Ford's world headquarters or something. So they got some of their costs shared with Ford because Ford wanted to have that facility right around in their area. So I, I think there's all sorts of ways. If you, you know, find a couple of like-minded people and just do some brainstorming, I think there's all sorts of ways to, to start one in your local community. Yeah, because what I've noticed by looking some of them up is some of them are for-profit operations, like you mentioned a gym membership, and some are 501c3. 
So by having either model, that opens up a lot of funding opportunities. So you may be able to get funding from certain groups to put something like this together that see it as a community building skill development. You know, I can see these being used as this looks like a lot better to me to bring in 13 year old troubled youth and teach them how to actually do things than have them color a picture, put macaroni on it or something like that, uh, you know, and call it art. Uh, so that opens that whole, you know, nonprofit arena. But then again, if your connections are to people that are business oriented that want an ROI, the, the way that something like this can be built out could also be profitable. You're exactly right. I mean, that's just exactly right, Jack. And, uh, you know, you mentioned kids, and I didn't mention kids, but, you know, that's one of the things that I noticed is these places are super family-friendly. It was very common for, you know, kids to be down there with their parents working on stuff or their parents were down there working on in the wood shop while the kid was over in the electronic shop, you know, playing with his Arduino or whatever it was that he had an interest in. The lady who did the theater stuff, once a week, she had um, high school theater kids come in, and they worked on, you know, their set design and that sort of stuff. The fabric shop had classes for, you know, that were focused on kids where maybe they don't have another opportunity to have somebody teach them how to sew or use a sewing machine or use an embroidery machine or something like that. And absolutely, I think that, uh, you know, you mentioned trouble youth, and that's the exact same thing my mom said because that's who she works with. She's like, I don't see why I wouldn't be sending some of the kids that I work with who have an interest in this sort of stuff or an aptitude for it down there so that they could be, you know, improving their skills and, and learning how to make their own business and, you know, build their own jobs and careers and that sort of stuff. And the places, the place was... The, the place in Ann Arbor was super open to that. You know, it was just no problem. One of the kids, one of the people that worked down there had a kid. The gentleman would come down and his son would sit and work on his homework and that sort of stuff because there's also, you know, computers and that sort of stuff that, that anybody can use in the front area and sort of the, the, the place where you sit around and, and talk about stuff. Um, and, you know, he sat around and, the shop steward talked to him a little bit, and he had a big interest in the 3D printer, the MakerBot 3D printer. And so the shop steward said, hey, you know what? Our 3D, our MakerBot needs to be upgraded, and I have the kit, and all the instructions are right here. Maybe you would be interested in doing the upgrade for me on that machine. And the kid <laughs> thought that was the greatest thing he'd ever heard. And he took that thing apart and, you know, replaced the motors and the board and that sort of stuff and put it all back together. And he, where else would a kid have an opportunity? To oh, my God. Like that? That's, uh, yeah, that is incredible. And it just, it's, it's, it's like, when I look at this, I see anybody with an idea has an opportunity now to do something they otherwise wouldn't be able to do. And every forum that I've ever been involved with, whether it's, guns or radios or something there's always like this demand for some kind of little gadget or gizmo or something that a full-size company's not going to tool up to do but a single individual could have a nice little sideline business being able to produce one or two or three little specialized components that work with an already operational system that a big company's just going to go look. Yeah, we could sell a thousand of those a year, but I can't employ you know one employee with overhead and training and supervision and all. But the one guy that can crank out half that amount, 
can, you know, put away a lot of money, pay off debt, uh, or maybe even build the foundations of a business. And I got to say, like I'm saying, fishing, hunting, everything I've ever seen a forum on, there's always this, wouldn't it be great if there was? And as long as it's, you know, if it's not a time machine that'll let me go back to hunt Tyrannosaurus Rexes, it's not something ridiculous like that. It seems like that opportunity exists using these types of facilities. I think you're exactly right, Jack. I mean, that's exactly the way I felt about it, too. There was almost there was almost no hobby or personal interest that I didn't see somebody. I know a gentleman run, is in a very small business that does uh, a biodiesel distribution, and I brought him down there, and they have a what's called a vinyl cutter where you put sheets of vinyl in, and this thing can do, you know, again, it's computer-controlled, so you just make a PDF, and this thing will cut it out on vinyl. And for him, he was like, you know, he said, when we show up on site, we would like to have, uh, you know, our, we have to wear hard hats in these areas. And he's like, all the other companies have their logo on their hard hat, and there's like no way that we can really get that done. We can't pay to have hard hats made with our logo on it. He's like, we come down here and just, you know, use the vinyl cutter to cut out our logo and apply it to our own hard hats. So I just think you're exactly right that it's, you know, it's an amazing resource that people could use. For. I, I went to an astronomy thing while I was in the area, and the people have these big giant rigs for their telescopes, and they have to make like a bracket that holds an arm so that, you know, they can put their, uh, you know, little computer locator on it. Well, you can go down and use the 3D printer. If you can, you know, draw it in the computer and you can take a class on how to use it, you can use the free tools from Google called SketchUp, uh, follow the tutorials on YouTube, you can make the bracket that you want it to be exactly for your rig, go down and use the 3D printer and have one, you know, printed out in 45 minutes. You know, and then like, okay, the engraving with the hard hats and the logos and like basically making the workforce look more professional. So I don't see any reason some young upstart can't start going around to all of those service-oriented, craft-oriented businesses with a few samples and saying, look, here's what you do. You give me all your gear, I, I, I custom engrave your logo for it, I bring it back to you, I charge you five bucks, a, five bucks a logo or four bucks a logo or whatever it is. And, and exactly. it, it start. I mean, because see, this is what happens. You get people together, and all of a sudden, the, the, this guy's idea A, B, and this other guy's idea C all start. They tab together, and that's to me what like the most exciting thing about it is not just the stuff and the ability to get it done, but the interaction of people and the way the ideas get combined. That's exactly right. I mean, I, it was just like I said. I mean, it's just an amazing place to go and work and talk with other people. And uh, you're just exactly right. That was one of the ideas that I had where, like, these microbreweries are, or uh, not microbreweries, but there's uh, artisan winemakers in this area where I live in Ann Arbor. And you could go down there and, you know, they have wine crates, but you could go down there and say, look, you want to do a special, you know, one-year thing? I can go ahead and make these beautiful artisan crates for you to put your wine in and boxes for people who make high-quality stuff like, you know, I don't know, axes or something like that. You know, let's put it in a beautiful box that's laser engraved with your, you know, company name on it and that sort of stuff. There's just all sorts of ideas that you could, that you could do. I, I felt like it made me feel a lot better. I felt like this is just amazing. You know, I could, I could find many ways to, to generate a little bit of income. And to help friends that I had who are still looking for a way to make income, um, 
go down there and and like you you know like you always say find something that you love and find a way to do it and I think this fits in exactly right. I love renewable energy and I love doing relief work. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm fairly certain that I can come up with two or three small items that would work out really well for people who are involved in photovoltaic uh, off-grid stuff. You know, uh, wiring panels or, uh, you know, a distribution for power that comes off of their charge controller, that sort of stuff, just embed it in a beautiful panel and, you know, maybe make it so it's easy to put in different sorts of sockets depending on exactly what they're what they're going to try and power out of their small PV unit. I know I can go down there and, and generate those sorts of things to the market yep. more exactly like you said. A big yeah, and you know, like, you know what's like going through my head right now, I don't know if you've heard of the open source ecology movement um, mm-hmm. where they're taking and they're building all of these farm machines they are very inexpensive, like tractors that have all these different attachments and all. And the open source ecology movement publishes all the plans, all the designs, all the specs and everything. And that's great until you're like, well, where do I get a, weg- a MIG welder? Where do I get a TIG welder? Where do I get a spot welder? Where do I get a, a cutting torch? Where do I get you know, uh, the, uh, the knowledge to be able to do this even though the plans are there? So it seems like there's probably a lot of groups and organizations that – really like they they don't really need to partner with each other but they just need to know about each other because all of that stuff could be built by the person that doesn't have the materials yet or at least the major components could be built using one of these workshops um and then that opens up the whole concept of again entrepreneurialism because one of the things open source ecology is saying is yeah we're telling everybody how to do this but if you set up shop building them in Kansas well, there's a lot of people that even if they know exactly how to build it, exactly how much everything costs and exactly what to do are going to go, I don't want to do that. Just make me one. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you're just exactly right. I mean, one sort of similar example to that is uh, for the 3D printer, the MakerBot 3D printer. You know, there's a whole website that's called Thingverse where people have created objects or replacement parts or uh, you know, somebody created uh, design so that you can connect Lego to Connect or some other <laughs> building thing. And you can just go and download the, you know, the 3D model and go in and put in your thumb drive and hit print. And they come out on the 3D printer. So you don't have to Crazy. Do, you don't have to come up with how to create it yourself. You just go browse Thingverse to see what other people have shared. And like you said, so you got- the sharing of the Oprah sociology stuff, it's the same way. So you got my, my entrepreneurial brain going again now because I'm thinking, okay, I can make something that makes Legos and Connects work with each other. So I could go to every single uh, nursery school and thing like that, child development center in, 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 in my entire city or county and say, look, you already have this and this and this. I'll, I, I sell these little parts that, that make them all work together and expand the, the minds of your, your, your students by letting them take two different components and putting them together. And, you know, I mean, that's probably not going to make you a mint or anything, but it would probably pay you to learn. Uh, as as you went and developed a you know, business model or a skill set model, either one, and exactly. it just it, it's again it's what happens when multiple minds get together. Yeah, I mean that's just exactly right. And I mean you can do like let's use that as an example. So you generate this on the 3D printer, which is you know sort of a prototyping device. So maybe you come up with it and you go show it to a few people. And at the same building, they have an injection molder. 
So maybe mm. you decide, you know, I can't 3D print a thousand. Four thousand of these. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. But it's no problem. I can use the, I can, you know, I can go ahead and make myself a mold and use the injection molder to print a thousand of them. You know? and, and how so, many people know. have come up with an idea to injection mold something and thought it was a great idea and they were going to do it until they got a quote for like 4500 bucks to make the mold? Yeah, exactly. Hmm. Yep. Yeah, it's, uh, they're amazing. It's just an amazing resource, and I, I couldn't. I, I felt so awful that not more people knew about it. Well, you use the term like I've heard you say traditional skills and modern day artesian. So, is there like kind of that eclectic mix of of, of stuff going on there? I think so. I think so exactly. Like I said, I met you know the gentleman who made the cabinets for thirty years. He just couldn't get over that now that you know he knew how to use a computer a little bit. But he didn't realize that his computer skills were 75% of the way to using the CNC shop bot. And once he discovered that, he was like, this is just amazing. You know, he couldn't, he couldn't get over it. So I think it's a, a, a real mix of old world skills and new world skills. And you know what? We need that overlap. You're making me realize something. Because here's the problem if you don't have it. If you take a new person that's never done traditional woodworking cabinetry work like that guy and you teach them all about the, the automated equipment to do it with, they will never come up with some of the designs and, and development that the traditional worker will that meets the modern. And we can't lose the traditional artesian concepts as we move into the modern production, or, the, or it's gone. Because once those guys are, are dead and gone or retired, if they're not interacting with the, the youth, you're gonna, all of those wonderful ideas will be gone. I, I put it this way before with knowledge. Like I can give one guy, you know, a framing square, some nails, a jack plane, a saw, all the basic carpentry tools and some wood, and he'll build me a spice rack, and another guy will turn around and build a freaking house. And it's about what's the knowledge to go along with the tool. Well, that's exa- I mean, I, that's just exa- that's exactly the situation I was in. You know what I mean? I know how to create, I can create all the plan files I want to have the shot bot cut out for me, but I don't know anything about the right way to do it. You know, what's, what's, what comes out nice? What has the right structural integrity? What's the right, you know, thickness of wood? I just had no idea. You know what I mean? It didn't matter that I could have generated it using my modern skills. If I didn't, if I wasn't able to talk with a gentleman who was really a, a craftsman at it, it just, I never would have been able to, to do what I want. I mean, I probably could have done it, but it would have been a piece of junk. Instead, I made something that was beautiful using my skills and having worked with this gentleman who'd been making these sorts of things for 30 years. And the same thing is true in the metal shop. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that when you when you really look at the like the membership fees, I've seen some that were, I've been looking them up while we're talking, some that are 50 bucks. Uh, a month. Some of it are ninety. I see one you have listed is one hundred and ten. Uh, but they, you can do foundry work at that place. And if you actually look at it from a standpoint of either the education or the entrepreneurial opportunities, you you can't buy a freaking Dewalt drill with a battery pack for one hundred and ten dollars. Yeah. I mean, I mean, what what I recommended to like my friends who I introduced because I believe me I dragged everybody I knew down there I must have draw I must have taken fifteen people through the place, and what I suggested to everybody was take the classes you know you don't have to be a member to take the classes you still have to pay for the classes the fifteen sure. bucks, but take the classes you know take the tour get all kinds of ideas, 
work on laying it out or whatever it is that you want to do at home. And when you're ready to generate it, go in and, and pay for one month. And then you can go through and do it for a month and then, you know, just be done with it until you think of something else to do. If that's, if that's the approach you want to take. There were some people who were like, oh, this is great, you know, because I can do this and this for my business, so it's no problem a year, that's great. There's people that work there where their employers pay for their membership, and they go there and do work for the employer. But that's the way I suggested was figure out what you want to do, take the classes so you know how to use the machines, and then get yourself all ready to do your project, and you know, then pay your, your one-month fee and go down there and work on your project for a month. You know? So what are some websites you'd say that people can use to uh, to learn more? Uh, we've got uh, Megzine.com, which is like a magazine, an online magazine for this stuff, right? They're sort of the granddaddy of the maker community is this, the Makezine people. But yeah, Makezine, Makezine.com slash groups. That'll list big groups that have, have, you know, sent an email to Make Magazine to tell them. But that's one list of you know, groups and, and workspaces. And then the other one that, that I found recently was, it's called hackerspaces.org. And they've got a huge list, an international list, places all around the world where there are uh, workshops like this, community workshops like this. And those are the two places that I would start with that are big. But like I said, I would do, you know, if you're looking for one and you don't see anything listed there, I would do some searches on Google for community, woodshop, workspace, you know. Here's what I did, maker, workshop, and then follow that with the largest nearby city or town. Um, And I was able to find one in Dallas and one being set up currently in developmental stages in Fort Worth um, in in a couple seconds. So if you live in, you know, Jabitville, Sheboyganville, Iowa or something, you may not find one real close, but I think if you're near any major city or town, it seems like they're pretty well distributed and out there. And like you said, if if nothing else, it's an opportunity. Maybe somebody wants to, you know, if there's not one in your area, create one. And my God, if you get partnered with, like, especially like a lot of these cities that have 20 or 30 small towns kind of all nestled into like a, a Metroplex-style situation uh, with their chambers of commerce and stuff, what a way to revitalize the economy of a city. I don't see how, it could, I don't see how starting one of these places could fail. I just don't. It's, there's such amazing resources with such a broad appeal to people across such a wide range of interests and uses. I don't... I don't see how one could fail. I just don't, you know, I don't yeah. see how you could miss. I don't know if you – have you followed recently what we've been doing with what we're calling the 13 Skills Challenge? No. I okay. Mean, no, I, I know I, – I mean, I've listened to your shows on, you know, what sort of skills are important, both old style, old world skills and well, – I just, I just got to put a plug in for it here with the synergy of what we're talking about today. What I came up with uh, a few episodes ago was something called the 13 and 13 or a concept that people would set a goal for themselves to acquire or enhance 13 skills in 2013. And this site is about to launch, and the way it'll work is a member will go by, set up their profile, select from a list of skills, add to it if there's a skill that's not there, define their goals. So you might, like if we could both say that we want to uh, do black powder shooting, 
well, you may have never even touched a black powder weapon, so your defined goal might be, you know, learn how to to shoot and care for a flintlock muzzleloader, where my definition under the same skill set might be uh, to take a deer next year with with black powder because it's something I've never done before. And then they check all the skills as they go. And once you do 13, you can unlock more and do more in a year. And we're going to keep this running year after year after year. But, my God, the synergy. And people are, like, psyched about this. They're, like, really excited about expanding their skill sets. Well, okay, how about laser engraving or CNC machining or metal lathe or graphic development? I mean, all of those things can be done with these facilities. So, uh, heck, if they have some kind of big location service or something, I might give them a free uh, sponsorship slot on that new site. Uh, because the the synergy there and your timing could not be more perfect. I mean, we're literally in beta mode testing the site right now, finishing it up, and we'll probably have it released by the end of this week or early next week. Um, so uh, sometimes things come together at the right time for the right reason, I guess. Yeah, that sounds amazing. The only reason I haven't heard of it is because I've been too nervous about this interview. To this interview. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you don't need to be nervous, especially with a subject like this. And then you have um, – you did your – uh, backup power system. You worked uh, with the, you used like the Occupy movement as a test bed for it, which I thought was kind of cool because they're out there and they have no power. And you have a little like a little wiki site set up where people can see your backup power system, and that was at OccupyTheSun.org, right? Yeah, that was that to me. Like I said, my big experience with the relief work, where I did most, uh, you know, got a lot of experience with with working in extremely austere circumstances, was in Katrina, and you know. Like, I mean, obviously, this the recent hurricane along the East Coast is, you know, just exactly the same situation. And so for me, developing an easily portable photovoltaic uh, power source, because uh, everybody has devices, you know, everybody has devices that need to be powered. Emergency responders have radios and, uh, you know, people are trying to use their own radios or their phones or their laptops or whatever it is. And that was a big problem that, that we had when we were in Katrina and obviously probably the same issue now. And so I, the, I felt like I needed something that I could take out someplace and people, you know, it had a wide range of plugs. You could plug in a USB device. You could just plug in a laptop, um, you, you know, tablets, phones, whatever it is, you know, basically a, a self-contained charging station that was solar-based. Um, you know, I really wanted to build something like that. It needed to be portable and flexible and figure out how people do the, you know, what their needs are. And it seemed like the Occupy movement was perfect at the time. It's taken me a long time to do it, but, you know, a year or so ago, whenever the Occupy movement was big, they had, you know, all these people camping out. And I thought, this is great. I'll just wheel my thing out there and we'll see how it goes. And it went really well. You know, it turned out to be an excellent test bed for, uh, uh, renewable energies or photovoltaic under austere circumstances and it worked out great as a test bed and I'm sad that I'm not in the United States to be actually putting it into use uh, now. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I, I, I think, you know, what a great way to test it to actually just put it in the hands of people that need it. Um, regardless of the ideology, you've got people out there that have no power. They put themselves into that situation, and you get real, real world, world feedback with it. Yeah, yeah, it worked out very well. I mean, it was a it was a great opportunity to to see how it worked out. So I was I was happy with it. But I, I'm yeah, yeah exactly. 
Well, well, Blake, let me seriously thank you for bringing this to my attention and the community's attention. I have a feeling we're going to have a bunch of really stoked people this, by this afternoon as this episode circulates. And uh, I think that you'll have a large number of the community uh, very grateful to you for bringing this to my attention. Uh, this is one of the cooler topics we've ever talked about, and uh, I do appreciate you spending time with us today. Well, I, I can't thank you enough for giving me a chance because I, I, it's it's an amazing resource, and the fact that more people don't know about it, like I said, just you know, it's a tragedy because there's so many people who could benefit from a resource like like that's out there, and I don't feel like. You know, it just needs some outreach. You know, there's a lot of people who really this is a perfect fit for, and nobody's just reaching out and taking their hand and say, come on in, you know, please, you're welcome. And I'm, like I said, I'm sort of, you know, sort of shy, and I would never do anything like that. Uh, and I was motivated enough to get this, this photovoltaic thing done that I screwed up my courage and walked into this place in Ann Arbor and never really had felt so welcomed any place before. And the same way was in Detroit. You know, everybody was super friendly and very welcoming. It didn't matter. You know, I had to take these classes in how to use the wood shop and stuff like that. And they were like, well, how much experience do you have? And, you know, some people were like, oh, you know, I've used a saw, blah, blah, blah. And I just had to be like, I've never, I've always been afraid of a table saw. I've never turned a saw on. And they were just like, that's no problem. That's why you're here. You know, we're going to learn how to do it safe. Welcome. And I, I just wasn't able to, to to tell enough people about it. And I, it seemed like such a good fit for, for you and your audience that I felt like I, should, I, I would ask you if you would listen to me for a little while about it. Well, we, we certainly appreciate uh, Blake. And uh, uh, again, man, there's no reason for you to be shy when you got something this badass to talk about. So I appreciate you being on the air with us today. Uh, folks, if you were struggling to write down all the different websites and stuff that we were giving out, I will uh, make sure that they're all part of today's show notes. And if I find any other ways that you can maybe or just maybe put some custom Google queries together for you, I'll put a little place where you can cut and paste them and change it to your city and, and refine it down. I'm pretty good with the Google foo. And uh, again, hey, man, Blake, thank you for bringing this to our attention. And, and thanks for being such a great member to our community. Well, thank you very much. It's more than my pleasure. Thank you, Jack. All right, folks, and with that, this has been Jack Spierko today along with uh, Blake Gerardo, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Seeing our food these days, you know it's on our TVs. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, and we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way.
children just can't pay Cause nobody up there cares They're leaving 